you know, in my head, I can't figure out whether you're going to, you know, throw a dig at me in the first half of this recording or the second half. But now that I say that, I think it's going to be in both halves. Yo, bro, you got the juice, the kawaii juice. I don't have anything smart to say, man. I uh, Great segue to my opinion here. You know, I aim to please. I, I, I'm a definite if, definite maybe. Uh, so you intentionally threw me under the bus yet again. Nice. Oh, we'll just snap it right there, Jeremiah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that I have anything smart to say. Rubber bullets on this episode of the Results Junkies podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to Results Junkies podcast. Moving back to warmer climates out of South Dakota. Uh, strapped back into the chairs to talk about startups and all that's right in the world of technology. Mr. Singh, how the heck are you? I'm warmer. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> it, Be hard not it to. Was, uh, it was funny. I, you know, I think I told you I forgot my jacket in Sioux Falls. Well, you um, need to tell me that. It was pretty evident when we stepped off the plane and, you know, you didn't have a jacket. Yeah. It was just interesting. I mean, I guess this is a normal, but like everybody there was just walking around, I feel like in sweatshirts. It wasn't a big deal for them. And I'm just freezing my butt off. Yeah. Uh, you were kind enough to buy me a cool Sioux Falls or startup Sioux Falls sweatshirt, which I think within about five seconds of me walking in the door that night when I got back, Dana commandeered. So I should have I should have assumed I should assume that. Yeah, I should have assumed that and gotten two. Yeah, that was a bad call <laughs> on my part. I, I opened I, my it, suitcase and she's like, Oh, you got me a sweatshirt. I was like, Wow. Okay, yeah, I guess. <laughs> you do 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 you remember how many sweatshirts you pulled out of your suitcase for me? I think I feel like I got two out of there for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know where smart. the other one went. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so you intentionally threw me under the bus yet again. Nice. No, I didn't intentionally. Nice. I think I just, I just, I just knew what my wife was going to want. I should have assumed that your <laughs> wife would would want the same. So I, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize in advance for you not having a startup Sioux Falls sweatshirt now because I know you gave, and you made the right what? decision and gave it to Dana. The good news is I have one. I'm just not able to wear it. That's all. <laughs> no, your household has one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> There's a difference. Yeah. Yeah, but no, it's good to be home. It's also good to be out though, too. It, you know, it's yeah. been a while since we have been back on the road. So yeah, it was it was good. But let me let me pause there. We can talk a little bit more about Sioux Falls. How are you? You took off again right after we got... You actually took and, off and again, funny, like yeah. within 12 hours of us landing. Yeah, yeah. And a funny story on that real quick, though, for folks who are just tuning in, show at com is how you email us. He is at Paul Singh on all the social media channels. I am at Pizza in Motion. We are on YouTube as well now. I'll throw a link to that in the show notes. You can watch us on video as uh, compelling as that that may or may not be for you. (laughs) And if you do have a moment, there's a link in the show notes as well to leave us a review and a rating on whatever platform you're listening to. And those are super helpful for folks to find the show and discover it. So the more people that watch here, the more we'll be able to keep Paul engaged for the foreseeable future, staring at the the screen and talking to us. So we want to do that as long as humanly possible. So yeah, we landed at... uh, Nine something, ten something, something yeah. like that. Friday yep. night at like nine, we got back. Yep. So I got to my house at 10 a.m. Sorry, 10 p.m. Walked in the door maybe a little after 10 because I dropped you off. And I left my house at 10 a.m. And the interesting thing about that was, I, I'm i trying to remember, I think it was, I think it was on my way back. I think it was on our way back from South Dakota that I got the message from Matt Paulson from uh, Market Beat, who was our guest last week on the show where he said, uh, just kidding, not going to Orlando this weekend, I'll be in Vegas. <laughs> and yep. so 24 hours after leaving South Dakota, or 26 hours after leaving South Dakota, I was having dinner with Matt in Las Vegas. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. 
That's awesome. Yeah. I forgot to tell you, actually, when you dropped me off, I didn't realize Dana was actually in the garage. She was going to come out and say hi to you. But uh, by then you peeled off. (laughs) I was like, I'm not going to call him back here. (laughs) It's really hard to peel off in a 2006 Toyota Highlander hybrid. But in any way, shape or form that I could have peeled off in that car. Yes, maybe I did. It's got those electric motors. It goes. It it, it had some oomph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry that I missed her because she is significantly more compelling to hug than you. <laughs> that that that's a good way to put it. Yep. <laughs> I realize I'm not easy on the eyes. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. No. No. So we got a couple of things we want to touch on today if we get time for both. We also want to recap Startup Sioux Falls a little bit. We want to talk about Reddit's IPO and then some new legislation out of Florida that hasn't been signed as of time of recording, um, but that would ban Anybody under the age of 16 from having a social media account, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, I haven't read through the entire text of the bill. So there's some parts that are a little bit, a little bit fuzzy just based on the, the synopses of the bill that I'm reading. But I guess first and foremost, I'm curious, you know, I know we talked about it on, on the show sort of live, but after having a week to think about it, what's your opinion about being back out on the road as you referred to? And then, you know, um, what we saw and experienced in Sioux Falls? Yeah. You know, if I had to summarize it, I would say two things. I would say the first is, is that, you know, one of one of the hard things about investing everywhere else is just staying connected. So, you know, so so thought number one coming back from Sioux Falls is that it's really hard to replace connections with email lists or anything like that. Like, in other words, you get a lot more out of spending a few hours on the ground shaking hands and talking to people than you do by signing up for their newsletters and and trying to like build a relationship. I think I, I think I might have said this in one of the previous shows a long time ago. Like I more than ever, I'm just convinced that in person meetings are a great way to really strengthen a relationship. And online, whether it's Zoom or emails or whatever is a great way to maintain it. So that's, so that's thought number one is that, you know, getting plugged in to a community is just hard to do unless you actually just go do it. And I think the second observation for me was that even though the bar has risen quite a bit over the years in terms of like what sort of traction is necessary to, to raise money. And I mean, this with all the respect to the world, it still feels like a lot of founders are still struggling with this idea that, or uh, somehow I'm getting told that they're going to get funded at the idea stage. I don't know how to articulate that better, but you know, I feel like you and I have talked about this like at length and, and many other people have talked about this at length about how much the bar has risen to raise money. And yet, you know, and this is not a reflection on Sioux Falls itself. Um, but it's just interesting to me that still to this day, there still remains to be a lot of founders that are being told, coached, maybe they're re- I don't know who's telling them this, but like they're, they're trying to raise money at these, these early stage idea stages or whatever. And it's just, it's tough. You know, it's, I wish somebody else would tell them this sooner. Yeah. And I mean, there were some culprits. Well, I'm going back to that a second. So first off, I'm talking about being out on the road. I think like my biggest regret having, you know, gone back out on the road with you Sioux Falls is that we weren't recording this podcast when we were out on the road the first time. Um, because I think there were just so many different nuggets that I can remember from tour stops from, you know, whatever handful of years ago it was, six, seven years ago. And I, I can only imagine all the nuggets I've forgotten at this point and the things that we could share with the audience that would be valuable. So, so there's definitely a level of regret there being out because it, like you, I really do value the in-person time 
I think it sharpens my skills to be to be there and to be asked tough questions. Helps me think about the good questions to ask, and so I think if if nothing else, Startup Sioux Falls was a, a good way to, to to sharpen my skills and get back to you know making sure that I'm connecting with founders in the right way. And you know, I mean, I think that there's something to be said for capturing some some uh, level of feedback leaving. And I think you know we talked a little bit about this on last week's show, but I, I want to break down in more detail. You know, without going into company names, I think. Uh, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that I saw three different buckets of companies from the companies that presented to us. And, you know, let me know if you disagree with any of these. I think there were a couple that just, you know, really weren't ready to fundraise. I think there were another couple that I thought were um, moving in the right direction toward fundraising. Um, and then I thought there was one, uh, maybe one and a half that um, had a business that maybe could could go the fundraising route or could go the bootstrapping route, but seem to have um, all the right pieces to move to the next step. I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I thought, yeah, I, I, yeah, I won't reiterate it, but yeah, I would agree with that. There was those three buckets and that totally makes sense. Absolutely. It, um, if you race the city name, I think you could say, you know, there's a reasonable chance that Sioux Falls, like any other tech store top to the tech tourist top that we had, um, had the ability for us to walk out of that, um, you know, funding a company. Yeah. 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 I agree. And I, and I think, you know, maybe one other thing I'll just say is that these accelerators or incubators that exist and I'm, I'm using startups who falls, I think that's the name of their accelerator program. Yep. That, yep. Start so, falls. So, so, you know, I think that these accelerator programs are what I would call the modern day business schools for these types of businesses. In other words, you know, I think MBAs and, and stuff like that are really important when the dollars get bigger. Actually, yeah, I mean, I would just say that like, if you if it takes you less than a million dollars to get your first customer, um, accelerators, I think, play a really important part of that. And if you need more than that, or you, you know, your career is going to go corporate and you're going to be managing millions of dollars, that sort of thing. Well, I think an MBA is probably the right way to go, like a traditional business school. So that being said, though, I think it it sort of reinforces this idea that if you think, if you agree with me that that startups or that accelerators are sort of the modern day business school for startups, particularly for for ones that don't need to be, you know, capital intensive to start up, then I think that anyway, that was like a, a, another nice little reminder that those programs are useful. And how do you yeah. add, maybe the we could probably do a whole episode on maybe talking about how to get more relevant sort of advice or relevant experience or something to these accelerators. I know we didn't talk about this in the pre-show, but this is particularly poignant right now, given that Techstars just announced they're moving their headquarters from Boulder to New York. I don't know if you heard that or saw that. No, I actually didn't hear that. Interesting. Yeah. So they like, they're closing down a a couple cities and and Mm. the HQ's moving and Mm. you know, all that. So anyway, let me, let me pause there. It was, it was, it was good to get back on the road. We've got a lot more this year that we're going to get out onto, but Sioux Falls was was a good good place to start it off. Well, and and to your point about accelerators and value, I, I remember having a conversation with you know a few of the folks that were part of you know running startup Sioux Falls. I think Matt commented about how you know he was really excited that that they had gone down this path, and I remember having conversations with them about conversations they had with companies that were in the cohort and how they had helped coach a couple of them on pivots and on. You know, ways to present themselves and things like that. And I think that clearly showed in the presentations 
at least some of the presentations that we saw. So I think that's the overall value of an accelerator or an incubator, if you pick the right one, is that is to have your assertions challenged and to you know, sort of like work the kinks out of the model before you get in front of investors. Because the kinks are going to get worked out one way or another. They can get worked out with live bullets or with dummy bullets, your right, choice. Right, right. Man, add that to the uh, analogies that I never see coming from you. <laughs> Rubber bullets on this episode of the Results Junkies podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, so let's talk about Reddit. So Reddit has uh, appears to be approaching their IPO filing here shortly. And the articles that are out talk about how that they saw revenue growth in 2023, but that they still have fairly sizable losses, $90 million in losses in 2023. And you know, while I don't think that there's any documented proof of this, that there was, uh, there was a round back in 2021 that's rumored to have had a valuation of about $10 billion. So you know, it doesn't seem like that's where they're going to IPO at, if you will. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I know there's one point that you shared in pre-show that you thought was interesting, and I've got, I got a point that I want to make as well. Well, you know, <laughs> I think that if you want a lot of unsolicited armchair quarterbacks and advice and stuff like that, you either need to start a business, have a kid, or try to go public. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> everybody's going to armchair quarterback you. And I think, you know, with with Reddit now going public or filing to go public, certainly everybody's like, "Oh, they're losing money. They're losing this, losing that." And I, I get it. You know, that's 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 the game, I suppose. But on the flip side, you know, look, I don't have any equity in Reddit, so I don't really have a, you know, desire. I don't really need it to go one way or the other. Right. But I think from my perspective, you know, somebody stepping into the public markets and testing the appetite for for a new company going public is good because, you know, yeah. I'd have to look at the dates on my own exits, but I don't think I've seen a, you know, a distribution or a wire transfer back to us in 18, maybe even 24 months now across the portfolio. So, you know, anybody testing the waters on the public side, you know, could, could start to start that, you know, train of, of opening up the public markets, but we'll see. So anyway, I'm I'm curious to see how it goes. But it was interesting. As soon as you mentioned it in the pre-show, you were like very visceral in your own in your own analysis. You want to talk about that? I'm a little spicy, but I also wanted you to touch on the 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 contract that they have with Google because we alluded to this back in probably December. Where we were talking about some of the magazine companies right. that were suing the so New York Times was suing ChatGPT, but but Reddit is one of the companies that has, you know, found a potential model in selling access to their database to Google to learn against. Yeah. So, yeah, I forgot to mention that yet. So in the, you know, them going public or whatever, one of the pieces of info that came out, although you, you mentioned it might've come out sooner, is that Reddit's getting about $60 million a year from Google to actually let Google use Reddit's data in the training of Google's AI models. Yeah. Which I think is probably one of the earlier deals that we've heard about in terms of payment for the not for the information that's going to get used in the models. So that, you know, that'll it'll be interesting to see if that precedent sort of holds when when it gets applied eventually to open AI or yeah. or any of these other companies that are creating these models now. So also 60 million seems low. I mean, you know, if you mentioned earlier that that the last pre money valuation was probably in the you know the billions of dollars, ten billion dollars or something like that in twenty twenty one. Sixty million for access to the 
to the data just it just seems low, but you know, what do I know? It's just like, it's like you're teeing me up. <laughs> what a great what a great segue to my opinion here. I think I would just say that what's the most polite way to say this? If this is really the best thing that our ecosystem has to offer for an IPO right now, it doesn't really send a great message to founders on things like, you know, economic discipline and stuff like that. Because I mean, so so Reddit's been around for 20 years. And don't hold back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so uh, look, I mean, they so they're making almost a billion dollars in gross revenue, but they're losing a hundred million, essentially. So you know, fr- from that standpoint, I mean, I think that like the thing I really struggle with here is, you know, I mean, like this doesn't, this doesn't really look like a successful model. Now, I mean, given you take somebody like Facebook and they're earning, you know, whatever, over a hundred billion or gross revenue of over a hundred billion dollars a year. This is clearly a different model. Reddit's not Facebook. It's a different sort of community. Harder to have, you know, ad dollars against this sort of thing. There are some, like, I don't know the models, but there are, there is some like paid membership stuff there and there's some advertising, but they raised over a billion dollars in capital. So, so the preference stack is called a billion dollars in capital. The companies, you know, got gross revenue of less than that. They're losing 90 million. I mean, let's just say that they can have a remarkable year and they can, they can, make this business earn $100 million. So they can go from a $100 million loss to $100 million profit. That could be really good for Reddit as a model. You know, the, the, the one individual specific company, you know, making $100 million off of, call it a billion dollars in revenue. But that's not typically the margins that we see in SaaS. And it's clearly not the models that we see for Facebook or, or, or Instagram or, 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 or you know, those sorts of companies. And so the issue I have with this isn't necessarily that they're going public. It's that this company got a billion dollars in funding. And most of it came in their, you know, their two most recent rounds, which were like three and four hundred million dollars. And I think like it just feels like at that point, after I don't I don't remember exactly when those rounds came, but they were fairly recent. So 2020, 2021, something like that. After the company had been around for over a decade and still wasn't making a lot of money. We still put, we collectively still put, you know, almost a billion dollars in for a company that, hmm, do you really think that this company is worth, I mean, I know you don't play in the public markets, but I mean, a company that's losing $100 million right now off of $800 million in revenue without a really clear picture of how they're going to 10x any of that, is that company really worth $10 billion? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not qualified to put prices on these things, but the way you just presented it just now, I no, it doesn't seem like it should be. And that's but that's the interesting part is is it's going to be interesting to see how the market prices it. Because the the flip side of this is is that and I think I think you would agree with me on this, there's a lot of other companies that are sitting in the rafters just waiting to go public. I mean you look at companies like Canva, for example. I think that's going to Canva Again, I say my disclaimer, I'm not a public markets guy, but sure. at the same time, like Canva is going to be an interesting one to watch when it, when it comes out, because it's, it's got substantial revenue as well, or more than that. Anyway, it'll just be interesting to see how that plays out. But I, I guess where I'm going with this is, is that my, my answer to your question directly would be, uh, no, I mean, based on how you described it, that doesn't seem like it's the right price, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how the market prices it. And what the market does is going to determine whether we see three more filings this year or 
20 more filings this year. And, and either way, that's really exciting, you know, and exciting in the sense, like at least something's happening. <laughs> I think the issue that I have, and maybe, maybe this is me picking too much on the Reddit model, but like when we look at this for just a second, you say, well, like they had, you know, whatever, $800 million in revenue and they lost 90 million. Okay. So, I mean, I looked it up. They don't have a ton of employees. They have a few hundred employees. But I mean, they don't pay moderators, which is which would be a probably would be a significant expense. So I'm guessing most of their expenses are on the technology side because you know they're probably not spending a billion dollars on 350 humans. So I just I just struggle like at a very high level to understand how they shift that model enough. Like it's not like they have six thousand employees. They can like like with Twitter, like I think Twitter had ten thousand when Elon bought it, and they caught cut you know seven thousand. Like I'm not sure what lever they pull here other than being able to drastically increase the revenue. And you brought this point up earlier, like, well, the $60 million for the revenue seems light, you know, for what the, what, what Google's paying. And maybe those numbers go up exponentially because of the value of Reddit's database. I mean, it is, you know, it is a unique database for sure of information. And I think there are tons and tons of expert information that's shared on Reddit as a whole. I think what we're, what we're, what we're saying from an ecosystem standpoint just to be clear, I like I'm not trying to pick winners and losers, but I think for this sort of a thing where a lot of people who invested in this company are probably not going to get a great return when it goes public, it still feels like it's encouraging this, you know, bet big, raise a bunch of money for an exit. And I mean, you know, the founders may do okay here. I don't know what what share of the company the founders have, but nobody in the last two rounds appears to be poised to do well. So like it just it just it just feels like a it just doesn't feel like from a sustainability standpoint you can have these late stage investors putting in seven eight hundred million dollars and get little to no return off that money. Oh yeah, I I mean I'd be surprised if the late the latest investors are happy about all this, but at the same time, what what can they really do? I mean, no, it's not about what can they do, but like they're less likely to write the next check, which should inform. The, the people looking for C checks and B checks and A checks and oh, C sure. checks. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, this, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I, this should have downward pressure on everybody's round. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think if, look, you know I'm an optimist, maybe to a fault or definitely to a fault. But I think the, the thing to think about here or the thing I think to, you know, recognize here is that maybe Reddit's decided to get off the venture treadmill. You know, and, and now look, it's, it's not good either way, right? Like they either need to probably, they probably either need to go out there and raise another round now and, and from, from private investors. And, and that's probably, I actually, now that I say where I'm, now that I think about where I'm going with this statement, maybe that's what happened here. Maybe, maybe this was about picking like the less worse path forward, you know, and when you have a, $10 $10 billion valuation two years ago, and you're faced with a recap and, you know, down round and all the uncertainty that, occur- that, that exists right now, maybe it's less worse to just put yourself out there and see what the market does and just get off that venture treadmill entirely. Maybe that's, maybe that's the calculus here. Yeah, it could be. Could be. I, I, I'd be interested to see how this plays out. Yeah, because I think it's going to tell a lot for what comes next. And I do think that the overall structure of this deal and the way this pill is being swallowed, you know, could have a you know something of a chilling effect on on people seeking late stage funding, especially in a especially in a world where interest rates are still you know high, because that means that investors that play in these these boats can 
they can source return elsewhere. You know, as long yeah. as rates stay high, they can get, you know, they can get 5% T-bill, 4% T-bills, whatever, whatever's out there. So they need higher right. returns from your company to right. stay in. Well, we still got a few minutes left. You want to try and uh, tackle this this new bill out of Florida and what we think it might, uh, what effect oh, it I might have. We'll tackle it, but let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we don't get into all the semantics of the bill, especially because it's, I, like I said, I couldn't find a copy of it online when I was looking. There may be one, you know, soon, but, or there may be one I just missed it. But essentially the, 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 the crux of the legislation, which has not been signed by the governor yet, is that this legislation would ban account, social media accounts for anybody under the age of 16. Now, the limit on this right now is is 13 years old. So this would push the age up in the state of Florida to 16 for popular platforms like Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, that sort of stuff. You know, I was I was sharing with you in the in the pre-show that we had an investment in a company a number of years ago called Skit, and they sort of were dealing with the I don't know if you pronounce it Copa or Kappa, but the 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 child compliance stuff and trying to create sort of like you know a walled garden where there was. Copa compliant content in one bucket and non Copa compliant content in another bucket, and that you know young kids couldn't get into the non compliant bucket, you know, without going into any of the politics of whether this should be or shouldn't be. I think like the tough part I see about legislation like this isn't necessarily what happens to Instagram or TikTok in the future, but if you're thinking about building a B two C business that involves some level of socialization, you now have to worry about where a state is going to draw that line with you? And are you going to be subject to this? And what does that mean in terms of market size? There are a lot of people between the ages of 13 and 16. They are very active consumers. They click on a lot of ads, all that stuff. And so I think it, I think this has a, the potential to have some pretty strong effects on existing companies that play in this space. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't it depend? So once we get our hands on the paperwork or the, the draft, I think it really does depend on where the liability falls, because if that if that liability is on the, I mean, you know this, right? But it's like if that liability falls on the companies, and they need to figure out how to like get IDs or copies of IDs or signatures from parents, that is entirely different than if this is like just a bill without teeth, just you know, designed to kind of like maybe hold parents more accountable. I don't... That's the only thing I'd say. Like, that's why I think this legislation is different. There, There is legislation in some states that's already been passed where the where you need parental permission under a certain age. Like, that legislation exists. Florida's ban seems to go further and just says, if you're under 16, you can't be on it. So it does create an enforcement mechanism. To your, to your point, we don't necessarily know who's going to be involved in that enforcement mechanism, but I would imagine that the company is going to have to at least be able to verify. It's like, let's set aside the person who has a, let's say aside the 15 year old that has an Instagram account today. At a bare minimum, Instagram is going to have to figure out if you're 15 tomorrow and whether or not you can sign up. Well, if you're 15 and from Florida, and then to take it a step further, you could potentially have a portfolio company that has a social aspect that now needs to figure out, does this apply to me? If so, are you under the age of 16? Are you in Florida? Is it for Florida residents? What if you cross over into Florida and you're a Georgia resident? There's just, as you and I have said many times on the show, it's not necessarily about the, the, the harshness of any specific legislation. It's the lack of clarity. And I think you and I both know the chances is to find everything we need to know is very slim. Well, well right. I mean, like my, my daughter's 10 and, you know, she... I, I, now that we're talking about this, I remember when she signed up for Roblox, 
I had to set up a par- a par- parent parental account. Right. And then and then I had to, if I remember right, I had to set up the parental account and then create the child account for her that she could then log into. Right. But at no point did they ever ask for my ID or anything like that. I self-certified all that. You know, I I agree that I'm above the age of da 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 da. So I think, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like it, it'll be interesting to see how this what the language here says. Cause I like, you know. I, I, as far as I know, there's no state in the country that allows anybody under the age of 18 to enter into some legal agreement. Like they can't sign an agreement under the age of 18. So, I mean, what, even if even if the this bill is at face value, like exactly what it seems to be, where I don't understand how like what document. Sorry, I'm not really articulate today, but you know, you're keying into something exactly. The, this is where I say the opacity is. This is exactly the issue. I have a 13-year-old son. Yeah, and he has no ID probably. He has no ID. So like right. how do I like now my my daughter could in theory at her, at the age that she got her learner's permit have had that, but if she didn't have the learner's permit, she didn't have any ID. So now you get into parental certification which exists today because that, that exists under COPA, but now you're asking for a different level of parental certification. And again, setting aside the politics of whether you agree with that or don't agree with that, it creates a level of liability, in my opinion, for startups, just like it creates a liability for employers of, okay, do I keep a copy of the ID that they showed me when they filled out their I-9 form? You know, companies wrestle with this all the time because if you keep the copies of the documents and you're found later to have had bad judgment, you could be liable. And so a lot of companies shred because that's the right policy. With startups now, like, what are you keeping on hand for these people and all stuff? It just adds another layer of complexity for what are probably some of the more, I don't want to use the word addictive because it's probably the wrong word, but people who are much more likely to consume the content in large quantities, you know, the, the 14 to 16 year old, you know, scrolling, doom scrolling on TikTok or Instagram is also most likely to be the next customer for whatever the next startup is that's building something social. And and then on top of that, you know, like, on top of that, these rules technically only apply to companies in Florida and or the U.S. It, it's, it does nothing of the companies that might be based outside the United States, but still used by these same children in Florida. So I, th- that's why I kind of was saying earlier, like, it's, I don't know that we'll tackle these things, but I think, you know, if we just, if we assume that everybody behind the bill had good intentions, just for the sake of discussion, sure. then like, we we kind of have to go one step further and recognize like i don't know that we're really accomplishing anything with this i mean you can ban all you want you can ban you can say oh you know nobody under the age of 18 in florida can you know download some social media site but is tiktok going to comply absolutely not <laughs> why would they right and i think like you you you, know, you bring up this good point about the the you know like how do you how do you enforce this now too because I mean, that that creates a whole big ball of wax. Is this, you know, is this the police that are enforcing this? Is there a government agency that's enforcing this? You know, I, I this, you know, this is, this is a very, very complex issue, regardless of the you know, the right or wrong of, of like how old a kid should be when they get on social media. We could talk for, you know, weeks about that. But there's this issue of, you know, again, you know, startups want to operate in defined environments. And I think this creates a very undefined environment for startups that want to play in 
a B2C environment where your customer could be under the age of 18. Well, and, and you know, the possibility of this regulatory risk or regulatory breach definitely is a turnoff to me as an investor. Correct. It's one thing to fund a company with $300,000, which might be, let's call it 12 to 18 months of runway when they're very early stage and they're two or three or four people. It's something else entirely if we now have to re- recognize that you have to fund them for five or $600,000 for that same team just because of that, that, that com- potential compliance burden. I, yeah. I, I think if this goes too far, I think, it, I think the unanswered questions become sort of a barrier to entry. And ultimately, it, it doesn't actually protect these children, you know, because the companies outside the jurisdiction of the rules don't have to comply anyway. Yeah, I think I definitely think that there are questions about how much can be enforced versus what you described as how much do we need to spend to try to comply with this legislation. So, As far as I'm aware, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but just now that we're thinking out loud about this, as far as I'm aware, I, I, don't, th- I don't know, I can't think of a single website that is blocked by the government here in the United States, right? Like, does that exist? I don't think there, that exists. I don't think so. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm assuming I could get to Al Jazeera if I tried, which would be the sort of stuff that you might think that they might, but I, I don't think there's anything that's officially blocked. China versions of social media, maybe? I don't know. Right. I mean, I think like, man, I just don't get it. It's like, what are you trying to accomplish here? Because like, we're not going to become, we're unlikely as a country to become one of those places where you can like block an entire domain or block an entire, uh, you know, product from right. all users. And even if you did try that, I mean, that's where VPNs come in and all sorts of stuff. So I think coming back to your main point on this, it's the ambiguity of mm-hmm. the details here that, are, that is the real problem. Yeah, you, you mentioned it. Regulatory risk is, is a real thing. And then on top of that here, it's, it's a different type of regulatory risk than I think we normally refer to. When I think of regulatory risk, I think of things that could prevent you from doing business. Here, the regulatory risk is also one of an execution risk because the regulatory risk at some point will, to some level, be defined. Don't let kids under 16 under your platform. Okay, right. well, well, what do we have to do to execute against that? And right. how, what, what methods internally do we use to test that we're not doing that? And, and, right. you know, and who's going to test the testers and all that stuff? So right. there, there's a level of execution risk that, again, increases burn that adds complexity that, you know, if somebody brought me a business today that had a social aspect to it, and that could be as simple as like, there's some like group messaging platforms that my daughter uses for her track team, which I think under the way I think this legislation is going to be written could be viable because she can join and talk with other people. I mean, even you use Strata, right? Mm -hmm. You can interact with other people on Strata, right? Oh, you're talking about Stra- Strava. 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 Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. Like technically, you know, like their stuff. I think I just saw a, a chat or a messaging feature just got released last week with them too. Right. I thought I'd heard something like that was coming. So, are they social media? I mean, maybe. Uh, like I don't know. Like, where, where's the line there? If I can interact with someone else and they can send me porn, I think that qualifies. Yeah. You know, like and, and lots of other things that they could send. But just using the easiest example. So like, yeah. you know, do, does Strava have to be compliant with this now? And is that, does that mean that my daughter as a 15-year-old runner in Florida can't use Strava unless she can disable the chat features of, of, the, of the app? Uh, yeah, like it just adds a lot of complexity, not necessarily for founders, because I think exciting, excited founders will 
work on finding solutions. But as an investor, it certainly does make me less likely to want to write the next check into a B2C thing that has some level of, of socialization. Yeah, yeah. And that that is, I mean, what we're really talking about here is one of the biggest challenges of government is is it's not it's not whatever bill that you want to pass. It's what's at the edges of the bill that you need to really think about. Like in this case, for something like this to really work, the implication is, is that you have to start issuing IDs of some sort, you know, to, to people, you know, under the age of 18. And then, you know, then you get, you start to push that mental model even further. And you're like, well, wait a second. Like, does a, does a child under the age of 18 need parental consent to get a government ID? And okay, well then if that's true, then what if they don't, you know, it's just, it's tricky. It's just that's a lot. The scope gets big real fast. Yeah. So I think we can all agree by the way that we want kids to be safe. I think we can agree yeah. to that. Oh yeah. It's, no, I, amongst all this, I, th- I think that all of this has good intentions for sure. Right. Right. All right. But, well, let's, uh, let's put a pin in it there because we could certainly keep expanding the scope, but uh, any travel for you in the upcoming week? Or are you not in the next week? No, no. We've got spring breaks coming up, you know, here in a couple of weeks. And Eva being in elementary school and the boys being in preschool have two different uh, spring yeah. breaks. So that uh, it's gonna it's gonna make for some interesting travel arrangements. <laughs> yeah, I'll find that. <laughs> but yeah, no. Other than that, Lubbock, Texas is the next tour stop. If you, I don't even know what we're calling it, man. But I actually need to text you or email you about this and see if you're coming. But yeah, April. I, uh, I'm a definite if, definite maybe. <laughs> I'm a um, definite if. I'm waiting to hear. There's a track thing for my daughter that's supposed to be senior night, but I'm, tra- I'm waiting on timing and then seeing if I can like take the last flight to Dallas or Houston or something like that, and then get up early in the morning and come see you. So if, if nothing else, if nothing else. Not, not that I don't love you, but if nothing else, I mean, Evie Mays is a great barbecue joint and I would, I would welcome the opportunity to have another plate of barbecue from Evie Mays. And, Deal. and I, and yeah. I will say for whatever it's worth, um, now I'm going to scramble to, to find the information here as we, as we thread down the, the last little bit here. But I was told by a listener of the show to make sure that you can't get away with, and he sent me photo evidence. So maybe I'll put this on the next episode because I figured I'd do photos on miles to go, but there's, since since you appear to have not gotten things right in terms of what you were parked next to the last time you were in Sioux Falls, <laughs> he yes. wanted to make sure he wanted to make sure that I you know, pointed out that that you did have a flat tire in in Lubbock and that there are pictures of you, which I have here in my Instagram f- uh, feed from Type A Furniture Maker. I have right here. I have pictures Alex. of you. Yeah, I have yep. pictures of you changing the tire. So we'll make sure that gets into a future episode. Just I to, love it. I just love for it. further proof of, of how much you enjoyed your time in Lubbock. Uh, hey, I did enjoy it. And um, for the record, I don't think I pick up, picked up the nail in Lubbock. I think it just so happened that the uh, the parking in Lubbock gave the nail time to do its work. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so so somebody else was somebody else was at fault for the for the nail, not Lubbock. It could have been. I mean, I you know it was. I, I I'd have to look, but as I recall, we camped at Hot Springs National Park for like a week before that stop. That sounds then, right. Yeah. And then cruised west for like whatever it was, 12 hours over the course of two days to get to Lubbock. And um, somewhere in that, whatever, 600, 800 mile journey, I'm sure we picked something up. Mm. Yeah, that, that was my first experience changing a tire on a trailer, by the way. So uh, good for you. The story I'll have to tell you on a future episode, though, is, is that what happened after Lubbock, because that's the more interesting part, but it included 
me accidentally, potentially, almost throwing myself and Dana off the side of a hill with the trailer in Big Bend National Park, followed by breaking down uh, and having to park at some lakeside stop in Texas because of the damage that was in- incurred. So, I remember story for a different time. <laughs> I do remember this. Yeah, we do need to do that story for another time, but. All right. Well, that's. I think that's a good place to pin it for the week, man. All right. All right. Well, good to see you. I, sh- you know, I should ask you: Are you traveling this week, or what are you doing? I think I have a week off. I think I have a week off, but, but, but probably, probably back to back to back after that. So I love it. I love it. All right, man. Well, good seeing you, and I will keep my fingers crossed that your definite if for Lubbock turns into a definite yes. We'll see. <laughs> we'll work on <out> it <laughs> later. All right, buddy. We'll see you soon. The preceding was produced in association with Crooked Path Productions.